0: Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beattie and I'm joined today by Lisa Nandy, the Labour MP for Wigan, and my colleague Roswyn Jones, who is the author and founder of the Wigan Peer Project, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And the reason we're here is we're going to talk about not just Wigan, but towns in general. And Lisa is the co-founder of a think tank called the Centre for Towns, uh, and this is looking at the parts of Britain which have started to be left behind. And you write recently in a, in a blog, and I've got to read this out, because our ageing towns are at the sharp end of the social care crisis, low-paid jobs with no progression have replaced secure work with prospects, Uh, As spending power has reduced the thriving local high streets, community banks, bus services and local pubs that underpin that shared community have disappeared. So this is quite a bleak picture. And it's got political ramifications as well, which we'll come on to, because at the general election and most recently the local elections, we saw Labour piling up votes in the cities and then struggling at the general election for example they lost mansfield in the local elections they didn't make any progress in places like Nuneaton, basildon your seat of wigan uh, bolton and these are the key battlegrounds of the election so it's a crucial area and we're going to talk about why our town's starting to be left behind what can we do about it and the political Consequences. So, so, Lisa, do you want to explain why you set up Centre for Towns?
1: Yeah, well, actually, it was, a, it was partly because of this left-behind um, label that had become attached to places like Wigan through the Brexit referendum. So there, were, there was a real sense of frustration amongst me and uh, Ian Warren, one of our co-founders, Dr Will Jennings from the University of Southampton, that the places where we live and work and bring up our families are great places they're great places where people choose to live they choose to stay there's a strong sense of community lots of green open space, clean air um, good public services, really good quality of life but for far too long many of those areas just have been completely ignored by national government and policy we're doing well despite the actions of successive governments and not because of them and Brexit should have been a real wake up call I think for Westminster and Whitehall that when you looked at the map of where people voted overwhelmingly to leave you could divide them exactly between cities and towns so manchester for example which is my nearest city uh, voted overwhelmingly to remain and yet all almost all of the surrounding towns voted ov- overwhelmingly to leave and that was a pattern that we saw replicated across the country and the truth is that for a very long time people in towns like mine have been saying that they don't believe that the political parties understand or care about their needs, priorities, and aspirations. And that sense of frustration has been evident, firstly, through record low turnout, and then we saw it with the rise of UKIP in many towns across the country, and then with the vote to leave the EU as well. And we just felt that, you know, a year after the Brexit vote, that sent shockwaves through Westminster and Whitehall, there was just still a very clear sense that people hadn't got it and that they just hadn't understood where that frustration came from and the need for a complete overhaul of the political and economic system. And so we thought, well, what a better thing to do, you know, when the world's in complete chaos, set up a think tank. So we set up the Centre for Towns and um, we've been running it out of a shed in Bolton ever since um, and producing lots of reports that show what's happening to Towns um, what's happened over the last 30 years what's happening now and we're starting to talk we're going to have an event next week where we talk a bit about some of the things that need to be done if we're going to solve this problem
0: Can I just quickly bring in, in, in Ros here and Ros by all means do ask questions as well don't, You know, as two journalists here to one politician least slightly outnumbered can, can you just explain for, for, for listeners who don't know what the Road to Wigan Peer project was about and, and what you kind of tried to achieve with it
2: Well Interestingly, it first came out of a trip that I did to Wigan to come and see Lisa a few years ago, um, where we did a whole series of interviews that were during the sort of general election. Um, and one of the people that we spoke to was a, a vicar who was kind of running a food bank and had like homeless people sleeping in the church. I remember she was talking about getting off cuts of carpets for families' homes because kids were so freezing and they'd had nothing to put on the floor and she said Orwell would have have wept to have seen the state of Wigan now but actually it wasn't really just the state of Wigan and that's kind of the parallel with the journey that Orwell made because actually his journey came to be called the road to Wigan pier and that became the town associated with it but really he was writing about the whole sort of post-industrialized north Wigan just sort of became the focus of it so when we set off, one of the really interesting things for me was a bit like Orwell. He just comes, travels through the towns to get to the cities. Really, he wants to write about the cities. And probably we were guilty of a similar thing on our journey. You kind of think it's going to be about you know, poverty in Manchester or poverty in Liverpool or Leeds or whatever. But actually, the towns to me were a total revelation. And I think um, with the Real Britain column, which I also write for the Mirror... I spend a lot of time in, you know, communities that are struggling. But along that route specifically, and I think particularly in parts of the Midlands, you were just coming into towns that really felt as if they just were giving up hope, actually, in a way that Wigan is certainly not like that. But there were plenty of towns that we came through where you just see a boarded up high streets. All the mental health services have closed. The NHS is closed. The libraries are closed. There's literally, you're struggling to even because you want to interview people and talk to them, you're looking for a a community space where people hang out together. And you can't find one because those spaces have kind of closed down. So unless you go to the shopping center or you try and go to the market and the market has closed three years ago, there's there's just this lack of stuff going on. And this just feeling of you can, those are all 70% Brexit towns. And there's been Hope Not Hate has written a lot of stuff about the link between having hope and progressive thinking, like the, the, le- the, the more pessimistic you feel, the more likely you are to turn to sort of right-wing politics.
0: And, and in terms of... Lisa, you know, some people kind of looked at Orwell and thought, look, he's stigmatising places like Wigan, and it became associated unfairly, perhaps, with this kind of idea it was, you know, the, the deprived place of Britain. But, but one of the points you, you want to make is, you know, you have this very strong sense of community, but they've been let down by whom? How how come we've got boarded up high streets? How come we, well, r- people are leaving these places to go and live and work in the cities? Well,
1: this goes back quite a long way, actually, to the sort of early to mid-90s when a decision was made that cities would be the e- engines of economic growth. And successive governments, um, certainly Tony Blair embraced this wholeheartedly for new Labour, and then Osborne uh, took that agenda on through his city devolution deals... Um, believed that if you put investment and opportunity into cities, then surrounding towns would be pulled along in their prosperous wake and feel the benefits. It was a sort of trickle-down model of growth, but at a much more local level. But the trouble is it just simply didn't deliver. What it meant was that over those years, towns have become very hollowed out in terms of jobs and investment and opportunities. And for those young people who used to leave a town like mine to go and work and study and then come back, what they've increasingly found over the years is that there's very little to come back to. And so the skills levels have declined in towns, which perpetuates the cycle of businesses not basing themselves there and not investing. Um, And that's what accounts for a lot of the things that Ros saw on that journey through to Wigan, going through those towns with the boarded up high streets, because as towns have got older and older and cities have got younger and younger we've lost spending power in towns we just don't have the spending power to sustain things like community pubs high street banking uh, thriving local high streets, Pass- uh, transport is a huge issue for that reason, because it's calculated and commissioned on the basis of passenger numbers. But as fewer and fewer working age people are actually based in the towns, it's meant that those numbers just aren't So it's, a, aren't it's there. a
0: vicious circle, that so you, you can't revive the towns unless you have decent transport links and decent broadband, etc., But they're refusing to give the money there because the populations are declining.
1: Well, and it's not just simply a question of money. So, you know, some of the suggestions that have been made is maybe we should legislate to make sure that banks have to be based in towns. We did some research at Centre for Towns that showed that it was the towns rather than the villages or the cities that had lost most of their community banking facilities. But you can't just put little bits of investment in and say, let's revive the high street or let's legislate to stop some of these things disappearing. Actually, what you've got to do is rebuild the jobs and the opportunities that were at the core of those towns before. When I was born in Manchester in the in 1979, um, Manchester was older than the surrounding towns. But that trend over the last 30 years has been completely reversed as the jobs and opportunities have become concentrated in cities. And we've found at Centre for Towns that that has been the case in almost every major city and surrounding towns across the country. This is
0: the key thing, the ageing population. So
1: the ageing of our towns, you, like we, you, you, you had quoted quite at the beginning.
0: Statistics. You've done a report for Centre for Towns on this, I mean, specifically just on, on, on kind of demographics.
1: And, and, and it's had a huge impact... Um, you know partly because we're at the sharp end of the social care crisis, our inability to deal with the consequences of aging has meant that towns are having to to deal with that much more than cities but it's also you know the the loneliness work that the Joe Cox Commission is pursuing towns are absolutely at the heart of that because older people whose families now can't be based near them because they have to they, their children have had to move away to find jobs and they've had grandchildren that they don't see this is a a really huge issue with profound social implications as well if we don't rebuild the jobs and opportunities and make it possible for young people to stay in or return to towns across britain we're going to continue to see not just that but the social polarization that that you get so you saw it in brexit where you had you know um cities voting remain and towns voting Leave, But you also see it with things like attitudes to immigration or social security because it's meant that towns have become much more socially conservative and cities have become much more socially liberal. And Professor Will Jennings, who is um, one of the co-founders of Centre for Towns, wrote a paper with his colleague Gerry Stoker where he talked about two Englands that have developed with very different outlooks, very different views, very different priorities. And you can see this replicated in the political debate now. It's become very angry, very divided. It's very difficult to see how you bring those two sides together in a shared vision for Britain. But that's essential for the future of this country. So this isn't just something that matters to political parties who obviously need to win the towns to I win the I'm next election. I'm come this on matters to the to political implications later.
0: I'm, I'm more trying to diagnose the, the problem at the moment, but that's obviously a kind of key part of the conversation. Uh, and how much is this down to... Kind of deprivation, and how much is it down to kind of cultural kind of views, as you say? But you know, if you're a young person, you're particularly, let's say, if you're a graduate, you want to go to a big city because it's livelier, and therefore you're kind of almost be kind of maybe sneering about the town you came from because you'll see it as parochial and closed. Is that is that an issue or not, or is it? Or is Just, it, how much is it a lack of uh, democratic accountability in terms of uh, towns used to have you know their own local newspapers? They used to have pride in terms of civic kind of kind of institutions, and those also seem to be declining as well. Is that is that a problem? I mean, I either of you do answer this question. Yeah. I'm throwing them out there. I don't have to answer them. Well, actually, <laughs> I'd,
1: be, I'd be interested to know what Ross thinks because you've spent time in a lot more towns that, than I have. You know, I tend to be either at home or you know visited a few recently, but I definitely feel that there is something about people who choose to live in or stay in towns that they're not fundamentally different to people in cities but there are some differences in priorities I think. When you live in a town, one of the reasons that you do so is because you're very um, you want to spend a lot of time with your family because you um, are willing to forego that kind of fast paced uh, life with lots of opportunities on your doorstep and the diversity that you get in cities because you get the security and the stability the time with your families the good public services the shared community spaces and it seems to me that one of the biggest problems with what's happened over the last 30 years and the eradication of many of those things in towns is that these are precisely the things that people most value about where they live and these are the things that have been lost so when you talk to people on doorsteps in some of those marginal towns across England, you don't just feel a sense of anger, you also feel a very, very deep sense of loss about what's happened in recent years. And that's part of the reason why the, the break with labour in some of those traditional heartland labour towns has been so painful, because for a lot of people that's a very, very you know emotional, difficult thing to to do. But actually they're trying to tell us that You know, we were meant to stand up for those things. We were meant to stand for those things, and the loss of them is like a bereavement in many senses.
2: Yes, I mean, I think it's interesting because there are there are always families that there are always people that they've moved to the city, and then when they have children, they think that's the time time for them to sort of go back home. You know, maybe because they're renting a very very expensive flat in the city, which you know, for the same money, they could get. Much more space back where they live, and they could have grandparents to help with their kids and all that kind of thing. And that's where, if you have a much better transport network, there's there's no reason why people can't sort of commute in and out of cities and and be part of be part of a be part of a town's life in that way. Um, but I think there's also there's another interesting bit to it, which has happened in places like Stoke, which I think had become probably suffers from all those different afflictions and has often had a problem because it's a number of different small towns as well so it's almost like a town that's even more fractured than other towns geographically fractured but there's always something interesting there at the core like I'm sort of thinking about when um, Paul Nuttall decided that he was going to have a go at Stoke and he thought you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Stoke. I'll go to the Bentley estate. This, this
0: was the UKIP leader. The UKIP for, leaders for about yes. month or whatever. Yeah, but carry on. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he,
2: they kind of, and actually, he wasn't the first person to try and do that. You know, the BNP were like originally launched in Stoke who diagnosed exactly the same problem. People on the right have been very good at diagnosing this problem, so they know exactly where to go in and kind of recruit people. And years ago, Oswald Mosley had also launched his own, that was the precursor to British Union of Fascists, was launched in Stoke. And one of the interesting things, so obviously we're going back there trying to talk about 80 years ago, what was it like then, what was it like now? And there were these obvious parallels with the 30s. And I met this brilliant um, old guy in his 90s. He was telling me about being thrown out of a um, Mosley rally by some very rough people here, I was saying, "Yeah, they were the black shirts, weren't they?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yes, I think they were. They were wearing a black shirt." Um, and he was kind of talking about how, why Stoke always resists fascists in the end. So this was at a time when Paul Nuttall actually was quite, um, you know, looked as if he was doing quite well in the town, and he was saying, "Oh, Paul will never, Nuttall um, will never succeed because, in the end, we as a town have got too much pride to let these people in." And there's like this tremendous there is this pride. It's it's still there and it comes out in football or rugby or whatever else that people kind of have. But it's how do you I think that p I think that people want to actually go back to their town. Probably yeah. they feel anonymous yeah. in Manchester you know, so if if people can be given the opportunities to come back through transport or broadband or Whatever the, whatever the things are that are causing the problem, where they can't live there, that they will come
0: back. Yeah. And let's kind of, on the political question, I mean, your colleague Ian has written quite an interesting piece recently about how we're getting the kind of what they call the reddening of the suburbs. So Labour's vote is now moving out from the big cities into the suburbs. But at the same time, you've got this kind of loss of Labour support in its traditional areas in these towns. As Mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier, you know, we talked about Basildon, which used to be a Labour seat. We talked about Nuneaton, which is a classic Bellweather seat. You talked about Bolton. We could kind of go through quite a few of these across the country. Mm -hmm. And, And there was a poll out this week showing that the Tories have a lead or but a narrow one amongst the... Working class voters. Now, how much of this is age? How much is this is class? How much is geography? And, and then I'm going to ask you the difficult question after this: is what do you do about it? But I mean, well, why is this happening?
1: So the, the the piece that you referred to that Ian Ian did this week looked very particularly at London and what's happening around London in the southeast. and the South East. But I it's think, happening
0: in, you know, you've got one, Labour won Trafford for the first time in local elections. So, you know, that was this, the one little bit of blue outside Manchester.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, I think what you're, what you're tending to see there is uh, issues around high housing costs, meaning, just as Ros said, that families are being uh, either forced out or choosing to move out of the centre of cities and so you get this sort of ring around the outskirts this sort of donut that used to be very blue that is now becoming red and is clearly a huge challenge for the Tories if they want to win the next general election it's something that they ought to be really worried about because those seats were traditionally part of the Tory heartlands and part of the flip side to Mansfield that you Talked about was that we won seats, you know, Kensington, Canterbury. Canterbury.
0: Yep. Um, so you're, but these were kind of more affluent, kind of areas with higher levels of education. Well, I
1: think I think the issue is actually
0: university probably towns. less to
1: do with education and much more to do with age. So, you know, university towns is are the only towns where Labour is actually bucking the trend, because in most towns across the country, what we've seen is we're either standing still or going backwards. Um, in small to medium-sized towns. But where there's a university, the picture is very, very different. And essentially, Labour is winning the youth vote and the Tories are winning the older vote. And that is partly, I think, what accounts for the fact that after eight years of austerity, in some of the hardest-hit towns in the country, the Tories are actually gaining ground. I mean, the local elections were really striking from that perspective, although there was virtually no attention paid at all by the media... Apart from obviously the Mirror, who are fabulous. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, to, you can come again. <laughs> have another biscuit. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to what was going on outside of London? Actually, the picture outside of London was quite was quite troubling for Labour because we nearly lost Bolton Council. We held on by a majority of one. We lost seats in Sunderland, in Wigan, um, and we, you know, if you look at somewhere like Amber Valley, for example, although we won the more middle class target wards, we lost the working class seats that we'd always held there so there are some real issues for Labour and the reason this is absolutely critical and that both of the major political parties have now started to pay attention to what's happening in our towns is because cities are going deeper and deeper red with every year that goes on and rural areas have become darker and darker blue and towns are now the key battleground for the next general election to put it quite simply Whoever starts to understand the issues that people are raising in our towns and comes up with a plan to address them won't just win the next general election, they'll win the one after that. And that's why suddenly there's been a bit of a flurry of interest from the political parties in trying to look at it. Now I, obviously, as a Labour MP, I'll do everything that I can to make sure that that's a Labour solution. I don't believe that the Tories have a solution for working class people in towns like mine. But it is a warning to Labour that that vote that's come out for us for a hundred years is not guaranteed. And unless we start to address it, we could have real problems.
0: Yeah, I was, I was um, reading about Rahm Emanuel, um, Mayor of Chicago, and, and he was saying, it's not that difficult, you just have to represent the views of the people you want to serve, if you want to win that vote. And the key word there was represent. And and the question I want to ask both of you is, is do you think Labour at the moment fully represents the views of people in these towns? Do you, wanna, yeah, do you want to... Yeah, I mean, I
2: think it's... A, I, one of the things that I've really picked up um, over the last 18 months in those towns in particular is just a general anti-politics. Just as a real full stop, there's a sense that actually there's not a great... Difference between what any of the parties are offering. This is obviously what we saw through Brexit, but there's. I've spoken to people that would say Jeremy Corbyn, he wears sandals, he's a vegetarian, he's come from the you know Islington. There's no, there's no. He is as much a part of the elite in that to their mind as Theresa May or you know any of the other political party leaders, and there's a real issue of representation and a North-South divide and a feeling that London gets everything you know what's the point everything's skewed i mean to me the anti eu vote was a vote against london in like in huge huge amount of ways um so i think there is there is a massive massive problem and a feeling that things that are being articulated are not their problems so it's not really good enough to just say we've we're looking at zero hour contracts or we're looking at this or we're looking at that it's like there's a, there are very deep problems and people feel that people don't come and see them, they don't talk to them they're not asking them directly what are their issues and then attempting to address them and unfortunately that when we've had surges with the BNP for example, that is exactly what the BNP have done, like in Barking Dakenham, when they started to make gains in Stoke, it was because somebody came and knocked on your door and talked about dog poo, I won't swear on the um, podcast <laughs> But it was it was literally about saying the town looks really scruffy and we're going to smarten it up, and this feeling that someone was actually going to do something. And I think there's a very it's very important. Obviously, that the Labour Party is in a bind because it's got lots of, you know, new young idealistic, wonderful, lovely, progressive voters, and it also needs to talk to this other set of people who are the antithesis of um, those people in some ways. Except, let's remember, they're all. Labour people, and they all have actually great values. Um, and in some ways, the Mirror suffers from the same problem. We have we have a an ageing readership that's of one type of pe- people, and we have people online who are much younger. But actually, they are all mirror. They're all mirror readers, and they and they they're part of the mirror
0: family because they have
2: the same values. This is
0: a really good point. So, one, Lisa, do you think Jeremy Corbyn gets the scale of the problem? And two, what would be, what does Labour need to do to reconnect with these traditional supporters?
1: So for me, this is a... And a, win over new ones. To, so that's quite yeah, important because there's
0: two constituencies there. There are people who are yeah. moving away from Labour, as Ross said, because, you know, there's an anti-politics mood or they're disillusioned. Okay. They're members, the, the ones they need to win over who are kind of much more floating voters.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, this is a question, a problem, a challenge for the Labour Party that well predates Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, this has been a very long time mm. coming. And I think there are some signs that, that we're starting to understand it. Certainly, after the 2017 election, uh, the Leader's Office set up a communities unit to look at precisely this issue. There are people like John Trickett and John Healy in the Shadow Cabinet who've been talking about this for a long time because they live in towns and they, so they, they, they can see where these issues are. But the, the, there's a bigger uh, question, I think, for Labour as well. It's a very live debate within the Labour Party. There's a temptation amongst some, uh, which I don't share, that says... If Particularly we, for an
2: MP in a city.
1: Right, so if we want to win the next general election, look at where we're making progress. We're piling up votes in Tottenham and, you know, we're making progress in Wandsworth and, OK, so maybe we should look at just representing people, younger voters, more... Um, socially liberal voters in those cities and that gets you potentially out of the bind that Ros was talking about about how to bring people, two very different groups of people together and unite them behind a shared agenda now there's several problems with this for me first we're a party that was formed by and for working people and it would be a complete uh, moral breach in my view to walk away from the people that we're supposed to fight for and defend, and who've stuck with us over 100 years and come out consistently even now when they feel very frustrated about the state of politics. But it's also that it's a complete dead end for Labour and for this country. Labour's only ever won when we've united those two very different groups of voters. That, in some sense, is the challenge in... Um, the 90s was no different in that respect to the challenge that we've got today. And the way that you do it, I think, is to start by actually treating the people that you're asking to vote for you with a bit of respect. To understand that when they um, you know, talk about the importance of things like family and uh, patriotism, you know, being part of something. If you come to Wigan at the weekend, you'll see the flags will be out and the bunting will be out for the royal wedding and people will be having street parties. And, you know, too often the response from mainstream politics has been to sneer at that when actually it's an important part of our identity. You know, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It's why, you know, it's why I'm on the left. And so the first thing to do, I think, is to respect and understand what people are trying to tell you people who voted leave in the referendum are not stupid, they're not racist, as I've heard them described by members of my own party. Um, and the next thing to do is to start listening to what they're actually saying that they want. So just to give you an example, uh, in Greater Manchester, we had a plan for economic development that was um, replicated all of the problems, national problems, but at a regional level, led by Labour leaders that concentrated jobs and opportunities in Manchester and then built a great big ring of warehouses around the outskirts of Greater Manchester so that kids in towns like mine who couldn't get those good jobs in Manchester could go and work for ASOS and, you know, be microchipped and... (laughs) you know told when to go to the toilet and stuck in these dead ends, zero hours zero with no home jobs with no daylight and unsurprisingly the community said hang on a minute we don't want this and one of the reasons they didn't want it was because it built all over the green belt so immediately they were la- labeled NIMBYs and told that they didn't care about young people and they didn't care about housing in the area but actually one of the reasons that we don't want that. It delivers nothing for our young people. It delivers nothing for our economy. It takes away one of the things, the green open spaces that we care most about. But most of all, by getting rid of that green belt, it gobbles up all these surrounding towns across Greater Manchester into the urban sprawl, and it removes your sense of community and identity and that history and that pride that Ross talked about, that people most care about, and the inability of senior Labour politicians to understand why people were so angry about that I think is a, you know, indicative of where we've gone wrong in recent years and I think there are some signs definitely that Jeremy Corbyn understands this because he's always been part of his own community so I think he does understand why strong families and strong community really matters but we've had so many warning signs in the Labour Party, we've had so many of these supposedly wake up calls where we haven't woken up and there is definitely a feeling now that we're in the last chance saloon and we need to get our act
0: together the bit I don't understand is actually if you look at Labour's policies and these aren't just ones under Jeremy Corbyn going you know back to Gordon Brown and and Tony Blair they were policies actually aimed at this constituency so you know things like the sure start centre improving the NHS trying to get people you know better and more secure jobs you know that was that was at the heart of kind of what labor was trying to achieve and and you know they did transform a lot of places i saw you know my own council estate on my doorstep completely refurbished and mm. made much much better and then and what i don't get is if labor was trying to do the right thing for these people do they not do enough or always or, or that kind of a lack of gratitude amongst voters or I mean, that's a bit i'm i'm wrestling with it. it's and why why even though you've you did these successful policies does it no longer register with the why are they turning your back i think there was
1: huge support for some of those policies particularly investment in the national health service i mean the effects of that in wigan for example are visible Mm. because you can see the the new clinics and then you know and and it's been it's been enormous and it is appreciated but i'll just give you one example of where it hasn't delivered for us um where when i first stood for parliament in 2010 my campaign headquarters was in a working man's club in the middle of Wigan it stood there for decades it was opposite originally the um, rugby league stadium uh, and football stadium that that sat used to sit in the middle of Wigan that that stadium has now been moved to the outskirts of the town and become a Tesco and that Working Man's Club in the last few years de- deteriorated and declined until eventually it became a McDonald's. What was once a thriving hub of the community where people would go after work, you know, especially when the mines were open, would go to let off steam, see your friends, see your neighbours, be part of the community. That thriving community hub now is a McDonald's that employs young people on zero hours, minimum wage contracts and it tells a story about something that's been lost in towns like mine. It's not enough to say we're just going to drive investment or as Tony Blair did in the, um, in the early 2000s that the future will belong to those who are quick to adapt and swift to respond to this new global future. People actually care about the fact that they're from their own town with their own community, their own sense of identity, their own institutions, and they want to protect and defend them. And the model that we've had, that we've been wedded to for most of my lifetime, just simply hasn't delivered on that. and It hasn't protected those things. In fact, in many cases, it's been the reason that they've been swept away. And until we start to understand that and have a plan that puts people and their aspirations back at the heart of our policy, we're never going to change it. And the, the reason the political power matters so much is because we were promised through devolution that these devolution deals would deliver on that, that they would empower people. But actually, my experience of devolution has been that instead of pushing the power right down to people, in many instances, what it's done is suck it up from local communities to a remote town hall so in Manchester for example decisions that used to be made not just at Wigan level but Ince or Aspel or Standish are now being made in Manchester Town Hall and giving power back to people to be able to shape their own communities their own lives their own destinies I think it was always the purpose of the Labour Party we we came to believe somehow along the way that what we were about was redistributing wealth but actually restoring power to people who rightfully own it was always the founding mission of the Labour Party and I think we've got to rediscover that again if we're going to deliver on the aspirations
0: of people in towns like mine I'm going to come on in a minute and ask you for your kind of like the one solution you could offer I just want to quickly on the a last word on the, the politics of it all because it's something you, you've already touched on, but I think we just need to discuss a little bit more. One of the things you, you, you wrote in a, the article is you quoted George Orwell, which is appropriate because Ros is here, <laughs> and you go, This is a, the country, we're talking about towns here, uh, that, as Orwell said, that lies beneath the surface and it must be heard. And my question is if we don't listen to them, this country, what happens? I mean, you know, the UKIP is risen and fallen but there's still quite a big vacancy there which has yet to be colonized by either the main two parties uh, what what's what's your kind of great fear could happen if Labour doesn't manage to connect with these voters or they don't go to the toys either actually
2: I mean I think we're in a very dangerous uh, situation at the moment because the obviously UKIP's kind of collapsed the BNP's gone but there's a real rise of um, street violence at the moment coming from the far right and far right parties, far right rallies, some very charismatic figures that are appearing online. And there's a real danger that the more that people feel anti-politics and give up on politics, that they just find themselves disenfranchised to the point where it just becomes about fighting, fighting people in the street. And obviously, Joe Cox's murder and some of those things, we've, we've, we've seen that happen. But also, there's always the danger that a Trump-type figure pops up. You know, somebody who does suddenly articulate all of those all of those things, and I think that's a really that's a really dangerous situation. Um, I think that it's still totally possible for the Labour Party to be those people's voice. It, 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 it's not, more than that. The Labour Party, like they deserve the Labour Party to be their voice. And actually, that you know, that our party needs to sort itself out to speak to those people better and articulate those concerns.
0: Can you see the UKIP rising again in these areas, Lisa? I
2: think there's
1: a, a space that UKIP filled for a while that has still not been filled by any other party. We saw it in the twenty seventeen in the twenty eighteen local elections that a lot of that UKIP vote in many towns across the country actually just stayed at home rather mm. than going to either the Tories They're or Labour. They're waiting for Brexit as well
2: to see if Brexit doesn't happen in the way that people want it to. I think there will also be another phase of anger. And
1: I mean, for me, the, the issue around Brexit is that people have been t- trying to tell us for a very long time how frustrated they are that we're not delivering on the things that most matter to them in their lives. And that roar of noise that we heard on the 24th of June a couple of years ago should have been the moment where we woke up and got it. But instead, we jumped straight to the technical and the legal parts of the debate. We're currently, you know, I'm going back to Parliament this afternoon to debate Max FAC versus a customs Partnership. Now, all of this stuff is really important, but there's a real sense in many towns across the country that we've just completely missed the point. Mm. We haven't addressed any of the things that gave rise to that in the first place, so we haven't got permission to be heard about the preferred model of Brexit because we've not addressed any of the underlying issues. And the example that Ros gave about Trump I think is really right for us to have in our minds because this isn't a, a UK phenomenon, actually. If you look across the world, we're seeing similar things happening in France, in Germany... I went to Austria recently where they've had similar issues Um, and when I went to um, to, the US during the presidential elections just after Brexit had happened we had a conversation with Hillary Clinton's campaign team who told us that they had all the same issues that we did about the sort of younger more socially liberal voters in cities versus the older more socially conservative voters in rural areas and 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 they said you know essentially we 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 just did, you know we can afford to sort of bank those older mm. rural voters because because they've always voted for us and because they've got nowhere else to go well it turns out they did have somewhere else to go and what's the result the result is the most horrendous president in history and you know that's a good lesson for the uk i think and for labor in particular is that we've got to take this seriously because i genuinely believe that labor offers the best prospects for people in towns across this country and I think a lot of people deep down believe that too but they want to hear from us what that is that's tangible that
2: is going to deliver it for them. And they can look at the Wigan Pier project where we've uh, (laughs) spoken to 250 people across the country in exactly these kind of situations just talking about their lives when people say oh they don't really there's two Britons another way to see the other non-metropolitan elite Britain is to check out the Wigan Pier project. Give us
0: the website while you're here, because it's, it's, uh, well, it's a really impressive At the moment, you know, it's mirror.co.uk
2: uh, slash Wigan Pier 80, but there's a whole multimedia project so coming say soon. Say again, slash wiganpier uh, Slash Wigan 80, because it's the 80th anniversary of uh, All World's Journey, but there's a big multimedia or singing or dancing thing coming soon
0: when I finish it. Just very quickly as a kind of final question, which is it's going to be the shortest question, which will probably have the longest answer, but... If you could wave your magic wand now, Ros first and then and Lisa, what would be the kind of the key f- solutions you'd like to see? What was what, what's, what's the one thing you go for which would really make a difference to help?
2: I'd uh, I'd move Parliament to Wigan. God, no, thanks. <laughs> 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 I've been bumping into all the MPs in my local pub. I can't have it at all.
1: Bolton. Bolton. Bolton's okay. just about. I, far went, I, enough, went, yeah. I
0: went to Peter about twenty years ago, since we moved to Birmingham. So there you go. Um,
1: it's um it's jobs, jobs and jobs, and it's the type of jobs that um, we need. Um, there are far too many people since I started doing the Centre for Towns project who have come up to me at the end of events and said, I am the person you describe. I am the young person who moved away because I didn't have a choice. And who have been trying to get back ever since and they tell stories about you know my mum's getting older she wants to see her grandchildren it's a real stress because when she has a fall i'm not there my brother stayed at home he has completely different political views to me It's like we're living different lives. You know, I wish there was a way that we could solve this. So there's a real will, I think, from the people in this country and um, from a growing number of politicians, from business, to try and deal with the fracture that we've created by ignoring large sections of the country for the last 20 years. Um, And now what we need is a proper programme that inspires people to believe in us again so that we can actually deliver it.
0: That was really interesting. Thank you so much for that, both Roz and Lisa. Um, please go to our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A-Y-E-S, where you can subscribe and uh, uh, leave some comments. Um, you can follow me on Twitter as at Lisa's on Twitter.
2: At Lisa Nandy. Roz? Oh, uh, uh, at Real
0: Britain Roz. Real Britain was and as I say you've got, you've got the Real Britain website as well um, and the Road to Wigan Pier website so there's it was, it was lots there it's a really fascinating conversation I think we could do another one which I might drag you back to do about the decline of kind of social democratic parties throughout Europe. Because you'll,
1: have to, you'll have to get me some better biscuits I think.
0: I'm sorry about that My my, my, my guest is demanding <laughs> I've got, riders I've now. got
2: conditions <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Once again thank you both very, very, very much for joining us we'll be back soon